accounting does tell a story and integrated reporting offers the chance to paint a better mosaic and understanding of that story for investors. And it's also worth pointing out that the uptake of integrated reporting is far more pervasive in other regions than here in North America. For a lot of our users and, and stakeholders around these reports, the biggest topic um, we get inbound um, conversation around is the scope three emissions. Welcome to the Exchange Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Burke Seaman, Head of Company Services. In this episode titled Get It Together, we discuss integrated reporting, and I honestly can't think of a better guest list to speak about than who we have here today. We're covering integrated reporting from all stakeholder angles, including the investors, regulatory bodies, and issuers. So joining us here today are Patrick Bryden, Managing Director and Head of ESG Research, Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets, Lisa French, Vice President of Sustainability Standards, Financial Reporting and Assurance Standards Canada, and Chiara Valentini, Vice President of Strategic Finance and Investor Relations at Transalta. Thank you all for being with us here today. I'm excited to hear what each of you has to say specifically related to your different stakeholder focus. Pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks, Burke. It's a pleasure to be here as well. And, and hello, friends. Yes, thanks, Burke. It's, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for hosting such a great topic. So before I get into the questions, uh, I just wanted to brief our listeners on what integrated reporting is. Integrated reporting refers to a method of corporate reporting that integrates financial and non-financial, so think ESG, information into one single report. The aim of integrated reporting is to provide a comprehensive, wholesome view of a company's value creation and its ability to generate sustainable value over the long term. Personally, I see integrated reporting as a model for transparent communication about how a company's strategy, ESG initiatives, and performance contribute to its long-term viability. I really see it helping stakeholders to understand the interconnectedness between a company's financial performance and its ESG considerations. Now, there is a framework that was developed by the International Integrated Reporting Council, or IIRC, and apologies, there will be a few acronyms uh, in this podcast. Uh, and now is overseen by the IFRS Foundation. Uh, this framework uh, is called the IR Framework, and it takes a principles-based approach and includes a small number of requirements. We won't get into the details of the framework today, but there are many helpful resources on the IFRS website. So before we get into the questions, I think it's important to understand that issuers can integrate the reporting into one and say they do integrated reporting, but also issuers that do this properly actually follow the IR framework. So with that, I wanted to start by asking you, Lisa, what the current state of the integrated reporting framework is. I realize that IASB, the International Accounting Standards Board, and the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, are working together on developing this framework. So just want our issuers to better understand where we stand today and if and how IFRS, the International Financial Reporting Standards, S1 and S2, will help support the development of integrated reporting. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, that's a great question, Burke. Um, and thank you for explaining the acronyms because I'm about to dive into the acronyms. Um, I, I do think um, your framing of the question is really interesting in terms of the IASB and the ISSB developing the integrated reporting framework. Because I guess um, until now, I've probably thought of this from a, a slightly different angle. So focusing less on the continued 
development of the integrated reporting framework and more on how it sits um, in relation to other similar uh, pronouncements of the IASB and the ISSB. Um, and then I guess exploring opportunities to align those efforts as the IFRS Foundation carries integrated reporting forward. Um, and it might be helpful if we just take a step back and acknowledge some of the recent consolidations that have put us where we are today, or more to the point, have put the integrated reporting framework in the hands of the IFRS Foundation. Um, and so those consolidations started in, in 2021 when the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which developed the SASB standards, and the International Integrated Reporting Council, which developed the Integrated Reporting Framework, merged to form the Value Reporting Foundation, which um, you know, itself would soon consolidate into the uh, IFRS Foundation. So if, if you blinked, you actually missed the Value Reporting Foundation because of the level of consolidations uh, uh, that were going on um, in 2021 and 2022. But suffice it to say, it was through this path that the integrated reporting framework came to be part of the IFRS Foundation's intellectual capital. And so very early on, the chairs of both the IASB and ISSB communicated um, a path ahead for integrated reporting. So they jointly acknowledged the similarities and differences between an integrated report and the IASB's uh, management commentary, which is, you know, obviously it's the counterpart to our MDNA, our management discussion and analysis. And, and so the two chairs committed to exploring and addressing those similarities and differences. Um, they also saw opportunities for um, the integrated reporting frameworks, principles and concepts to be the basis for a future corporate reporting framework, one that really helps companies prepare integrated reports, um, or at the very least, supports connectivity and cohesion between the IASB and ISSB reporting requirements. And we're really beginning to see these commitments take shape, uh, you know, so take some form now in some of the recent meetings of the ISSB. So as a case in point, ISSB members discussed um, this past March, how the integrated, uh, how integrated reporting or the integration of reporting will feature into their future uh, agenda and work plan. And they'll take this question out to the market in May uh, under the banner of a request for information. So if listeners out there want to weigh in on that conversation, there certainly will be an opportunity. Um, and if I can just touch on the tail end of your question, Burke, and, and how IFRS S1 and S2 in particular will help support the development of integrated reporting. Um, just for those who, who may not know, um, the ISSB will launch its first two standards uh, in the June 2023 timeframe. The first is IFRS S1, which includes general requirements for sustainability-related disclosure. And the second is IFRS S2, which deals specifically with climate-related disclosure. And when, when consulting on these two standards, the ISSB proposed that, um, that the financial accounting and sustainability reporting cycles should align so that this can you know, basically ensure connectivity and better integration. Um, and the market, I should say, agreed with that proposal. 
Um, and so both IFRS S1 and S2 recognize the importance of connecting sustainability-related information to a company's you know, governance, its strategy, its risk management, and its performance. Um, with IFRS S2 providing a very powerful example of just how one topic, climate change, uh, can affect so many facets of a company and those around it. So probably a, a, a response that is more than you bargained for, uh, Burke, but it, it, this is such a good meaty topic, but, uh, but thanks, that's a great question. Well, that was great. Thank you, Lisa. I mean, it certainly seems like there's a lot of momentum here and that it's only a matter of time until IFRS S1 and S2 will be mandatory, which should increase the adoption of integrated reporting. Um, let's shift the focus from the regulatory bodies to the investor uh, stakeholder group. Pat, as you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of your ESG research uh, at Scotiabank, specifically your annual ESG research paper. It's something that I look forward to reading uh, each and every year. Because of that research, you likely have several touch points with institutional investors. So I wanted to ask you about what you are seeing in regards to the evolution of investor demand for integrated reporting in Canada. And just have you explained the value that integrated reporting brings to investors? Thank you, Burke. Um, my colleagues and I have a lot of gratitude for the work we're able to do. And we sincerely appreciate this kind of opportunity to engage with stakeholders. So with respect to the first part of your question, we find most institutional investors are interested in the rise of what I'm going to call quote unquote non-financial information, and that it can be coupled with quote unquote financial information to help better complete investment mosaics. We have disproportionately large pension funds and global asset managers in Canada where sophistication is high and interest in integrated reporting is clear. For others, it's nascent, so not as advanced in the journey of the technical aspects of integrated reporting, but the underlying inclination to know more about companies and to find new angles of investigation is still very strong. And we can see this demand for greater insights through measures such as our readership analytics, conference attendance, et cetera. Most importantly, though, I, I, I think it's important to add that um, we often talk about institutional investors being the top of the food chain, but in reality, it's the people on behalf of who they invest for who are truly the top of the food chain. It's individuals like our friends and family in all walks of life who have become more empowered and are driving demand for more comprehensive understanding of corporate performance and associated impacts. So maybe if we jump into the second part of your question, um, you asked about the value integrated reporting can bring to investors. Lisa's obviously provided a great overview of the state of play for integration today. And I'll try to add to that, I guess, anecdotally through some of my travels in my line of work. So I'm an energy analyst by background and my colleagues and I started to see valuation multiples compress at a point in the cycle around 2015 when it should not have been occurring. And we asked our head of research at that time if we could further analyze why, and it was not complicated. If you went into any Tim Hortons in Canada, People could tell you that it was about emissions, coastal rights, indigenous rights, and energy transition dynamics. These challenges and opportunities were affecting valuations through concerns over issues such as carbon taxes, social license, and the terminal uh, value considerations for how we uh, value um, co companies. So at its core, integrated reporting seeks to better understand enterprise value creation over short, medium, and long-term dynamics through disclosures that help basically contextualize not only financials, but also the business strategy and the stakeholder impacts. 
And if you dig into integrated reporting and its framework, there's six capitals, um, quote unquote, that uh, are listed. They're financial, manufactured, intellectual, human, social, and natural. And what became ESG for us was basically going beyond the financials and the operations and looking for additional relevant factors from these other realms of analysis. So in my view, the idea of integrated reporting, is it useful? Uh, absolutely, we would say yes. That's interesting with the energy valuation numbers analysis, Pat. You know, I've also seen several research pieces that show the historic positive correlation of you know key financial ratios and companies that are making a positive societal or environmental impact within the course, of course, of their regular uh, business operations. Um, shifting gears a little bit again and focusing on the other stakeholder group, uh, our issuers. Um, I'd like to understand uh, about Transalta's journey and, and maybe focus on some practical advice for our issuers. So Kiara, can you take us through that journey and how and why Transalta integrated its reporting? Sure, thanks. Thanks, Burke. Happy, happy to be here and, and share our experience. So Transalta's journey on sustainable reporting has actually been quite a long one. We, we were actually just talking about this, you know, the other day. But next year would mark our 30th year um, of sustainable reporting. So we've been on this journey in various forms uh, since, since 1994. Um, and then we formally started our integrated reporting about seven years ago, where we actually went and, 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 and did the formal process of integrating it, getting assurances and so forth on, on our integrated statements. And so we've continued to, to create our, or to produce our integrated uh, reporting statement uh, ever since then on a, on a continuous basis. Honestly, we tried to go back through our annals to, to see kind of what drove that decision, but it, it's, it's been so long that we have no corporate memory on what was that linchpin to sort of you know, put us on this on this path, and 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 honestly, it was an evolution where within our power generation space, it became very very clear that we had to consider a balanced scorecard. Here is an industry that is like like Patrick described, being hit with you know carbon taxes, emissions regulations, um, you know, and and so forth. And so, part of our performance measures, like we, we had to include the full picture, not only just our financial and operational results, but safety, people, and our environment goals as part of giving you um, a full picture of our performance. And so since then, we've, we've continuously evolved on our journey. Um, it is an integrated perspective that we retain and evolve and is part of our DNA and, and really how we think about our our corporate performance across all these critical resources. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been um, a great journey. 30 years of sustainable reporting and an additional eight years of integrated reporting, incredible. Um, Transalta is certainly a leader in this. Throughout that time, and you know, not gonna be able to go back 30 years, but throughout maybe the past few years, what type of stakeholder feedback did you receive and what type of feedback do you continue to receive regarding your uh, integrated reporting? Our, our integrated reporting is highly, highly useful to our, our readers. Uh, we, get, we get very good feedback from our stakeholders and, and I think what they um, value the most, and I think Patrick talked about it earlier, is, is around the transparency. Um, the transparency and being able to frame our performance around all these various, you know, metrics. Um, 
you know, in the last few years alone, um, we are seeing an uptick on investors more and more relying on these reports to inform their investment analysis and making their decision making. I think I'd say sort of in the earlier part of the decade, it, it was, you know, very much informational. But now as this evolution is taking shape and taking uh, taking hold, we're seeing more and more investors looking at these reports and, and actually calling us out on some of our metrics to making sure that they understand them. Um, making sure that in some cases we get some users correcting them <laughs> where they're looking at them so closely that they they think there's there's a reason why they're they should look a certain way and and some of it is around the the nuances of reporting um, but typically um, we're seeing investors embracing embracing this section of our, our front our, our performance uh, more and more to help them um, really get comfortable around where the company is going and, and how our strategy is is shaping around all of these elements. Um, I think for the most part, what we do get is pushing for more and more quality reporting in this area. Um, their desires are clearly for us to expand the reporting. I know right now for a lot of our users and, and stakeholders around these reports, the biggest topic um, we get inbound um, conversation around is the scope three emissions. And, and how, how, how do you measure them? How, how will people report on them? And, and how can they get assurances that this information is, is quality? So I think overall the trend is, is that, you know, users will expect more and more of this kind of information and, and ensuring that it's reliable and, and, and we've got good methodologies on how to measure this stuff. You know, you said, uh, you mentioned that your stakeholders are pushing you further and further for maybe additional disclosure or um, different types of disclosure. And I think that's a really good transition into our next question here, because I want to ask all of you, um, you know, where you see the future going um, with integrated reporting. So where are we headed? And maybe I'll, I'll throw it over to Lisa to uh, to start us off. Okay, sure. So. I, given some of the, the signals um, that I mentioned earlier, you know, the ISSB's call for aligned reporting cycles and the inclusion of integrated reporting in its upcoming agenda consultation, the move toward integration strikes me as inevitable. Um, and it's also worth pointing out that the uptake of integrated reporting is far more pervasive in other regions than here in North America. So in Japan and South Africa, for example, I mean, integrated reporting is the dominant form of reporting. Um, and uptake in Europe and Oceania is also much higher than it is here. So I think that's something that's uh, worth at least recognizing. Um, and so whether we use the term integrated reporting sort of colloquially, you know, in the sense of just generating more cohesive and connected reports, or more formally, as in preparing integrated reports in accordance with the integrated reporting framework. I guess the path remains to be seen, uh, but I do think it's very safe to assume that the move is from siloed reports uh, and toward greater integration uh, rather than the other way around. Um, and uh, yeah, I could talk forever on this, but I'm going to give my colleagues a chance to to weigh in as well. I, I like the adage, the more you know, the more you know. And I think most investors do too. So I think that the future of integrated reporting is bright and that it is set to grow meaningfully. Uh, to put some numbers to that notion, our Scotiabank GBM ESG analytical framework is now in its fifth year. 
And we now evaluate over a thousand companies in Canada, the US and Latin America, which represent close to half the world's market cap for public equities. And so in that framework, we've seen an approximate doubling of ESG data over the past five years. Not all the data is relevant uh, to each sector and not all of it would find its way into integrated reporting today. But over time, if it is germane to the investment process, we believe it will ultimately be counted. Um, we liken the state of play for ESG disclosures in Canada and beyond to um, something like an annual health test for companies, whereby we now have a decent handle on the key measures. So, for example, we know what the heart rate, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, and the treadmill test results are, et cetera. Um, a couple of the next exciting frontiers we are focused on in our work is rate of change analysis and sector-specific evaluations. So we're very interested to see how companies are changing through time to basically identify improvement or degradation in fitness. Uh, as we believe um, positive results in relevant metrics are likely to be markers of business efficiencies, deeper thinking about risks and opportunities, and basically sound stewardship. Um, so we're also very focused at the same time on how to best understand what those industry-specific industry unit measures are, which can truly help explain that performance and inform proper peer comparisons. I guess what excites us most about the future potential of integrated reporting is the rise of sustainability, societal and stewardship data that is all driving this adoption and how it can basically enable better investment research and management. And from our standpoint, we see the potential for that quote unquote non-financial non data to become much more decision useful, potentially even on an ex-ante basis as opposed to um, an ex-post basis. So basically becoming more predictive rather than evaluative. Or if I could put it in hockey terms, this, this really means we're hopefully getting closer to understanding where the puck is going as opposed to where it's already been. Kiara, I know that you had uh, mentioned that you're seeing uh, increased pressure from your stakeholders to disclose more and more. Is there anything else you wanted to add on where you see the future of this going? Sure. I and and um, I echo all of the comments that that Lisa and Pat, and Pat have shared. But but I think from from both an issuer and, and actually listening to some of our investor stakeholders um, speak on this, I think overall what you know where I'd like to see the industry going is is around alignment and and standards, and really hoping that we can accelerate. Um, getting that alignment on measurement approaches and methodologies. I think that would benefit all users and compilers of, of these integrated reports. Um, much much of our time, as, as most people on this call are aware, like we do spend a lot of our time trying to translate our IFRS statements into these appropriate measures for our investors, our ESG ratings, and sometimes the accounting standards aren't helpful in, in trying to translate some of these measures that people are trying to get at. And so to get to a state where we can align on these standards so that, you know, the, this reporting is, is seamless, it's transparent, um, and, and it's comparable to other, other businesses and other, other companies is so key to, to making this reporting valuable. And so I think over time, I'd like to see that um, get tighter and tighter and more aligned, if, if that could be my wish list. <laughs> <laughs> so Burke do you mind if I chime in again absolutely go for it wonderful thank you so much because I I spoke earlier um, of my gut feel on the direction of integrated reporting um, but I, I mean I should point out that for its part the IFRS foundation is also considering the future of integrated reporting 
Um, and so as a casual observer, I, I guess we could imagine a, a few pathways or a few you know, roads that this could, could take. It could be that the IASB leads on this effort in the context of its practice statement on management commentary, which, as I mentioned earlier, it shares many similarities with the uh, integrated reporting framework. Or it could be that the ISSB leads the effort in the context of its forthcoming standard, IFRS S1, which again provides general requirements for sustainability related disclosure. So that too shares a lot of common ground with the integrated reporting framework. Or we could look behind door number three and, and possibly see a, a joint IASB, ISSB project with a view to harmonizing or even maybe consolidating um, these three documents. So the practice statement on management commentary, IFRS S1, and the integrated reporting framework. Uh, really with a view to simplifying and clarifying matters for, for issuers or for preparers around the world. Um, and again, a May 2023 consultation could shed some more light on the IFRS Foundation's current thinking uh, and provide listeners with an opportunity to, to weigh in. Um, but regardless of the path that it chooses to take, though I must say I quite like the notion of the IASB and ISSB working together on this, um, I do see the integrated reporting framework as being sort of the foundational document here, if only because it's, you know, conceptually more comprehensive and has seen more uptake worldwide by companies. So there's there's definitely a good solid footing uh, from which to start. So I just wanted to sort of comment on less gut feel and potential roads that this could take. Thank you, Lisa, for that valuable insight. Um, we're heading to the final part of our podcast right now. So I have one more uh, question for you all. Uh, do you have any parting advice for issuers who are starting their integrated reporting for the first time? And maybe Lisa, we'll start off with you again. So I am a rule of threes kind of person. So I'm gonna stick to that philosophy here. Um, so my advice all centers on the process side of things here. Um, so how companies can or should approach integrated reporting. So my first recommendation uh, to put it plainly and simply is this, you know, to set the company up for truly integrated reporting, it must involve an integrated or cross-functional team. So the project or the process can be owned or sponsored by a, a, a given department, but the composition of that, the team must, must, must cross departmental lines. Um, my second recommendation concerns quality. So companies should enter the process with an information quality and data integrity lens. So you know, we know that integrated reports aim to drive decision useful information. So maintaining an eye on information quality from day one, uh, you know, by building in the appropriate internal controls and procedures, for example, will absolutely be helpful in the long run. And then I guess my final suggestion concerns the starting point for this effort. So a company should take a logical stepwise approach and recognize that Rome wasn't built in a day. So start with a clear understanding and articulation of the company's business model. Guaranteed, this will spark meaningful internal conversations on what the company does, how it does it, and why it does it. And agreement on a good business model summary will take time but it will also set the foundation for all that follows in terms of the company's strategy, its risk profile, its governance, 
uh, and its performance. So those would be probably my, my three top recommendations, a reporting team that is itself integrated, a focus on information quality, and getting started by knowing and expressing your own business model. That's excellent advice. Pat, over to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I would actually like to take the other side of that question, if I may, from an investor perspective, which will hopefully help inform the path ahead for companies. Um, so, so I had the opportunity to attend the inaugural IFRS Sustainability Symposium in Montreal. And the VP and Director of Corporate ESG from T. Rowe Price, so it's one of the largest um, investment managers in the world, was on hand and on a panel. And I thought what she said was spot on. So I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically her words were to the effect of not everyone's sustainability reporting journey will look the same. Not everyone has this figured out yet, and that's totally normal. And then, you know, lastly, the ISSB has pledged guidance and knows that there will be different levels of capacity to apply S1 and S2 as they become operative. So for me, I think the important point is that it will take time and investors and companies alike should therefore set expectations at reasonable levels. You know, if you step back and you think about it, there are approximately, from what I understand, 2,500 companies in 75 countries that already do integrated reporting. So that sounds large, but um, that also compares to over 40,000 companies that are currently existence, in existence globally. And the IFRS um, is also present in 140 plus jurisdictions. And that's not to mention US GAAP, which uh, is obviously the accounting that governs the, the world's single largest market. So, you know, similarly, if you just think about accounting itself, it's been evolving over a century, whereas the integrated reporting um, and its capacities, they, they were only established around 2010. So it's really an evolution. The last thing I'd want to say is each company really is unique with different circumstances and boards and management teams should take the time necess necessary to evaluate what is helpful to their business and stakeholders and then set in motion the processes to ultimately measure and get things right with respect to their disclosures. And I'd underline that by just saying accounting does tell a story and integrated reporting offers the chance to paint a better mosaic and understanding of that story for investors. Thanks for that, Pat. Over to you, Kira. Any departing uh, comments, advice for issuers? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll try and give um, some more practical um, advice from our experience in terms of an, an issuer perspective. Um, as, as we look back I and, and when we started this journey, I'd say first, first off, it was it, it's so important to get CEO and executive support behind this initiative. Um, when we started our journey, our, our CEO was its top champion um, and was fully behind the endeavor and, and ensured its priority was, was understood across the organization. As Lisa noted, putting this report together requires immense cross-collaboration at multiple levels across multiple processes and having that support from the top enables that critical alignment that you need throughout the organization to, to get the, the, the work done. Um, the second piece that, that a lot of people might not consider initially is the, the timing of the financial reporting calendar and that process. It, it, the expectation is that you'd be reporting this information on the same basis of financial reporting. And as we all know, um, it's already a high, high activity based period. And so layering on these additional 
areas um, has an impact and you, you have to take that into consideration in your planning, especially when, you know, you know, this, this piece of the report will also go through that critical disclosure certification process. And it is highly visible with, you know, top executives on the board. And so making sure you've got the right capacity to, you know, shepherd and steward this work through that, you know, high intense period. The other thing to think about is making investments in people. Um, this isn't a project that isn't easily done off the side of, you know, one financial reporting's desk. Um, think about a, a dedicated, you know, dedicated resource capacity. Um, this, this helps define accountability and leadership across the organization. As, as Pat mentioned, not everyone's sustainability report looks the same. And so there will be need, you'll need to have leadership around translating how, how this reporting looks like for your company. And there will be numerous recommendations and decisions that need to be made. Uh, and the company will need support in terms of how to guide that through throughout the organization. And then the last piece I would say from a practical perspective is consider investing in collaboration tools or software to support that reporting process. Um, integrated reporting involves a highly collaborative environment across multiple business units, levels, and stakeholders. And there are many software tools out there that can enable this, this collaboration and really integrate with the financial reporting process. So hopefully um, that'll help folks at least start their journey. Thanks so much for that. Great practical recommendations from an issuer who clearly leads uh, in uh, in sustainability and integrated reporting. Uh, so with that, uh, Lisa, Pat, Chiara, thank you very much for participating today. Uh, I certainly enjoyed our discussion on integrated reporting. And, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, if any of you have any questions or would like to connect with our panel today, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Thanks again. Thanks so much for providing the opportunity to contribute. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Burke. It's been great being here. Yeah, my thanks as well on behalf of Scotiabank and all our colleagues. We're uh, super pleased to be at these tables and part of the conversation. Thank you.